0: If you've got a Bible, please do open it and turn to Genesis chapter 37 with me. As uh, Joe and Adam said, I have the privilege of being a curate here at St Thomas, Newcastle. If you don't know what a curate does, uh, neither do I, please don't ask me. Um, I am dad to Eliza, who's upstairs, and uh, husband to Beth, who's not feeling well today, so she's at home. If you know me, you'll know that I love words, words. I love lists of words and collections of words and where words come from. And every year, the Collins English Dictionary publish their word of the year, something that is distinctive and significant to describe the time that the world finds itself in. So back in the heady and somewhat more innocent days of 2014, the word of the year was photobomb. Oh, there we go. A bit of a throwback. Um, Shortly followed by Bake Off and Tinder. Does anyone want to guess what the word of the year was in 2020? COVID pandemic? The word of the year was lockdown. No, thank you. And uh, shortly followed by furlough and TikToker. There you go. Never thought you'd hear me say TikToker in a sermon, did you? Uh, Anyone want to guess for 2021? What word of the year? I'll be amazed if anyone gets this. 2021 was the word NFT, a non fungible token. Something to a computer's that I do not understand. Uh, Shortly followed by pingdemic, your phone telling you to self isolate. Um, And metaverse. There you go. Anyone want to guess what the word of the year for last year was? Anyone, hands up, shout it out. Everyone's just watching Lego drop down from the kids' groups upstairs, aren't they? The word of the year was permacrisis, a permanent and enduring state of crisis. Shortly followed by quiet quitting the practice of doing the bare minimum that you are contractually obliged to do to get paid at work, followed by sports washing, the use of lucrative sports contracts to cover up human rights abuses. Brothers and sisters, I don't think we need the word of the year to tell us, but it does illustrate that we have come a long way since 2014 photobomb, bake-off and tinder and perhaps that is why that previously we may have been able to skate over some of the questions of modern life because life on the surface looked pretty good we were all watching bake-off and photobombing and the most bizarre thing we all did was swipe right or swipe left on tinder but now, in the age of permacrisis, in the age of quiet quitting, in the age of sports washing, not to mention the fundamental questions of what it means to be human in the age of AI, I suggest we need something a bit deeper than surface level answers. We need something that is tried and tested and true. We need ancient answers to our modern questions. And that is the new sermon series that we're starting today. Modern questions, ancient answers. Now, if you watch the news this week, you'll know that um, one of the events that happened, by no means the worst, but one of them was the cutting down of the tree at Sycamore Gap. Did anyone else see that on the news? Yeah. And if you were like me, thought, oh, that is, that's, that's painful to see. And I've been thinking about it, and as as I was thinking, I was aware of the fact that we love what is ancient. What we loved about that tree was the fact that it was in loads of family photos. It had been there for 300 years, and then in one fell swoop, forgive the pun, it's not. We feel untethered from what is ancient. We need what is ancient. And as we search for these ancient answers, we are looking at the life of one man, Joseph. And here are some of the uh, questions that we are going to be asking in this series. So today we're looking at what is my purpose? Then next week we're looking at is getting cancelled the end? Who defines me? Is there light in the darkness? Can I forgive? Is reconciliation possible? Can God bring good out of evil? Where does every story lead? I'm really excited for the coming weeks in the life of Joseph. And the reason that we are looking at this man is that he was faithful in the midst of extraordinary circumstances. One commentator that I read this week, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, put it like this, Joseph was loved and hated, favoured and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased, yet at no point did Joseph ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. Adversity did did not harden his character, prosperity did not ruin him, he was the same in private as in public, he was a truly great man. Do we not want the same to be able to be said of us. That as we go through this time of social change, adversity did not harden our character as the people of God. That prosperity did not ruin us. That we lived lives of integrity. That's why we're looking at Joseph's Story, and we're starting tonight with this this uh, question tonight, this morning, with this question of purpose. Three points for today. Firstly, we're going to look at our purpose, our collective purpose as humanity. Then we're going to look at your purpose. What is your individual part to play in the collective human purpose that we have? And finally, we're going to look at God's purpose. What is God? doing in our midst as we seek to trust him and trust in Jesus. Firstly then, our purpose. I wonder what you thought when you read that question, what's my purpose? I'm guessing you thought, what am I individually hardwired to do? That's a good question, we're going to come on to it later. But I want to suggest that part of the crisis in our cultural moment is not that we don't believe we have an individual Purpose, but that we've forgotten we have a collective human purpose. We've forgotten that every person who's ever lived has two sacred duties. And we're going to explore what they are now. Now, let's read um, the passage for for today, which is Genesis 37 1 through to 11. So starting at verse one, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his, father saw, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So at the start of this passage, we read this. Firstly, that this is the account account of Jacob's family line. And secondly, that Joseph was tending flocks with his brothers. Now we could just dismiss these as biographical details, but the Bible doesn't really work like that. These have something to say about our purpose. In fact, the Bible works more like these as harmonic notes to a chord. Yeah. So you have the chord played at the bottom of the piano by Joel or whoever is playing keyboard this week. And then throughout the Bible, you have little harmonic notes that resonate with that chord. And where do we first hear that chord? We hear it in Genesis 1. So feel free to flip to Genesis 1 with me. Genesis 1 is a uh, passage which we can basically split into two halves. The first half is a hymn of praise to God who made everything. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And then the second uh, half starts at verse uh, 26, and it talks about humanity's place in creation. See, the chord of human purpose is this, to worship God. The creator and to expand or grow the garden that he set us in God blessed them verse 28 God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground humanity's purpose is to glorify God and to grow the garden, to make the whole earth like the Garden of Eden, a place of wholeness and beauty and order and life, a place of right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. Now listen to what we read about Joseph's family of Joseph. Firstly, we hear about his family line. Joseph's family was the one family that God had called out of the earth and said, no, in the midst of people who don't worship me, you are going to worship me. You are going to glorify me as creator. In the midst of families that worship the creation, you are going to worship the creator and fulfil humanity's true purpose. Secondly, Joseph was tending the flocks. What was he doing? He was growing the garden. Glorify God and grow the garden. And here's the thing that um, you may be thinking, just skip this bit and get onto the bit about my individual human purpose, please. Let me say this. um, You can live in your primary purpose before you've had a revelation of your specific purpose. You can live in your primary purpose as a human being to glorify God and grow the garden before you've had a revelation of your specific purpose within that. For Joseph, that revelation came at 17. He was fairly early on before most of us, I would imagine. But for Abraham, that didn't come until he was 75. What was he doing up at that, until that point? Was he wandering around aimlessly, feeling sorry for himself? No, he was fulfilling the intrinsic human purpose to glorify God and to grow the garden. If you are not sure what your individual purpose is here today, I want to say this. Do your collective purpose diligently. It's okay if you're not 100% sure what the overarching big thing is that you're going to do in your life yet. You still have a sacred duty every morning to glorify God And to grow the garden to tend the patch of earth that God has given you whether they be interactions with people the culture of your classroom the assignments that you're working on the food that you feed to your family and your friends the patients that you care for the children um, that you look after or the vehicles that you drive you exercise authority on God's behalf even if you're not 100% sure what you're going to be doing in 30 or 40 years time You have a sacred duty now. In a world that is obsessed with economic output, the gospel undermines all of that and says economic activity has nothing to do with purpose. You could be the most... Economically active purpose, person on earth, and still not fulfil your human purpose to glorify God and grow the garden. Equally, you could never be economically active, whatever in the earth that means. Um, you can never be economically active and still fulfil your true human purpose to glorify God and to grow the garden. If you want to think more about this, can I commend some resources from uh, the LICC? Um, Joe is a church advocate for LICC. She's been so helpful uh, this week. Um, there's some resources I'd love you to come and check out. I'll leave them on the front here. And there's some fantastic free resources. Um, if you go to stthomas.church forward slash purpose, I've linked some stuff from the LICC and what it means to glorify God in each and every moment of life. So that's our collective purpose. But what about your individual purpose? Within glorify God and grow the garden, what is your particular role to play? Well, firstly, it's going to be in keeping with those two things. For Joseph, it was revealed in these two dreams. He is lying, presumably lying in bed one night and he has this dream Verse 7, he's binding sheaves of corn in the field and suddenly his sheaf rises upright above all the rest of his brothers and his brothers bow down to him. And then he has another dream and that is that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow down to his star. Now, I'm not sure what it'd look like for a star to bow. That's one of the things I've been puzzling this week. But the Bible says he dreamt it, so I'm trusting that it that it happened. But here's the thing, many of us have dreams. And not just night dreams, but day dreams a sense of destiny, something that we feel hardwired for, be it a business that we're called to start, a career we want to pursue, a charity we want to invest in, a project that we want to facilitate, a role in the kingdom that we see ourselves fulfilling or people who have put on our heart to care for. Whatever it is, many of us have this intrinsic sense of purpose, of dream. And I want to suggest today that there are two mistakes that we could make with these. The first is to assume that these dreams are totally irrelevant. The second mistake is to assume that these dreams are totally accurate. Now, if we make the first mistake and we dismiss these dreams... And we say they are totally irrelevant. I don't care that I've always dreamed of doing that thing. I don't care that I've always dreamed of of playing my part in that way. If we dismiss that and say, no, I'm sure it's not from God. It's probably just fancy, just a make-believe, just a coincidence. Then we will drift through life with a sense of unfulfilled potential. Imagine if Joseph had done that. Oh no, these dreams, they probably aren't from God. They're probably just a... I don't know, figment of my imagination. I've been cutting lots of corn recently. I don't, I don't know. What I want to say this is that God has hardwired you for something. What you love, what you desire, what you seek is put in you by God. We are not a people who just believe in accidents and coincidences and it just so happens some neurons fire in your brain in that way. We believe in a sovereign God who's king over the universe. He's made you for a purpose. However, I also want to say this, don't make mistake two either. Whereas assuming that your dreams were totally irrelevant will lead you to feeling constantly unfulfilled, the risk of assuming that your dreams are totally accurate is that you'll feel constantly miserable when things weren't as good as that you were expecting. Here's the thing, we will always assume the most favourable interpretation of the dreams that God has put in us. Think about Joseph. One day, he would rise up a bit again, uh, over his brothers. They would come down and bow down to him. His father and his mother would one day bow down to him. His dreams were true. However, in his place, it would have been so easy to assume that his dreams were all about him, when in fact, they were about the salvation of others. It would have been so easy to assume it was all going to be easy, when in fact it would involve suffering. Joseph might have assumed it was going to be quick, when in fact it was a long way off. And some of us here today are in the gap. We've realised that our dream isn't wholly accurate. And in this place, I want to say, don't go the other way and believe that your dream is wholly irrelevant in many ways, the witness of the saints is that we are called to live in the tension. We live in the tension between the fact that the kingdom of God is now and also not yet. We live in the tension between the fact that we are freed from the punishment and the power of sin, but we are yet to be freed from the permeation of it altogether. We live in the tension between the fact that our dreams are neither completely Accurate nor completely irrelevant. And I believe that God allows this place of holding a dream before Him, of neither being able to fully know nor fully discount it, so that we look beyond the dream and onto the dream giver. Because it would be so easy if dreams arrived fully formed and completely accurate to pursue the created thing rather than the creator, to chase the dream rather than the dream giver, to try and grow the garden without trying to glorify God. Uncertainty reminds us of how much we don't know as an invitation to trust in the God that we do know. Finally then, What's God's purpose in all of this? We've looked at our collective purpose. We've looked at your individual purpose. What is God's purpose? What is God up to in the midst of human life? Now, the astutes amongst you might have noticed that as we've gone through Joseph's story, we've skipped over uh, a few key bits. The first is the wonderful technical dream coat that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote a musical about. I'm not really going to go into that tonight, but you can listen to the musical if you so wish. Um, The second is this. We've missed out all the hard parts of Joseph's story. We've missed out the fact that he was born to a man who had two wives and also two legal mistresses. We miss out the fact that his father shows, um, uh, well, quite quite unforgivable favouritism. I am no expert on parenting, I don't intend to raise kids like this. We miss out the fact that he was openly hated, that he endured a broken relationship with his brothers. You see, no matter how much favour Joseph experienced, he was still trapped in a system of brokenness. Broken parenting that showed favouritism broken relationships with his brothers, a broken economic system that thought it was permissible to sell people as slaves, a broken justice system that acquitted the innocent and condemned the guilty. And whether you want to call it broken or abusive or oppressive or unhealthy, all of it means the same thing. And it means this. It was a system that was not interested in glorifying God or growing the garden. And Joseph isn't the only one. One of the words of the year was sports washing, using sports to cover up vile human rights abuses. What's going on in those systems? Well, they are broken systems that neither glorify God, the creator, nor grow the garden. And it's not just around the world, it's here in the UK. Many of us today may find ourselves as both victims and participants in systems that reject humanity's true purpose. Don't buy the Western lie that everyone is either a victim or a perpetrator. Those are, those are discrete categories that they, don't, they, they can't overlap. That, that's just not true in the Bible. The, the, the hard truth is that you can be both a victim and a participant in an unhealthy and, an, and a broken system. Maybe you find yourself in relationships where there is open hatred and brokenness. Maybe you find yourself trapped in an economic system that keeps the poor poor and crushes aspiration. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of an unjust system, be it the justice of the courts, the justice of the HR department or the justice of the mob, more on cancel culture next week. But we're also participants We also willingly embrace hatred. We also show favouritism. We may not buy and sell people as slaves anymore, but many do and many of us are more interested in the cost of an item rather than the ethics of an item. Perhaps we see ourselves in Potiphar wanting an expedient, well-run household, even at the cost of justice. But here's the thing. God did not just raise up one man to know his favour. He raised up one man to be a saviour. In both stories, Joseph and in ours, there is a saviour. In the midst of mass, mass disobedience, there is one man who insists on obedience and through him, many are saved. There is one man who, in the midst of a total denigration of human purpose, constantly seeks to glorify God and grow the garden. And through him, many find salvation. God's purpose in Joseph's story and in was not just to raise up one righteous man to know his favour, but to raise up one righteous man to be a saviour for many. And whereas Joseph, at the end of the story, wins a temporary salvation for his brothers, the true and the better Joseph, who stepped onto earth around 0 AD, won an eternal salvation for us. Now notice the parallels between these two lives. At a young age, they had extraordinary promises spoken over them. Over Joseph, it was his dreams. Over Christ, it was the Magi worshipping him. And both of them, verse 11 or Luke 2, had a parent who, quote, kept the matter in mind. Both Christ and Joseph were hated by those who should have loved him. Both Jesus and Joseph remained righteous when they were abused and hated. Both of those men wept over the sin of those who betrayed them. Both of them brought their brothers out of a starving land into a land they would be satisfied in. Both forgave the unforgivable and raised to new life those who tried to kill them. Do you see that God's purpose in our midst is not merely to make us look back to the story of Joseph, but back to the story of Christ and look forward to his return? God's purpose in our midst is not just to raise up you in your workplace to show you favour, although that is good, but to raise up Christ in our midst to save his people from a broken system of oppression, to make our hearts long for the day when humanity will glorify God and grow the garden. So in the midst of perma-crisis, we do not drift as ships without a mast or an anchor. We have a sure and firm foundation, an anchor for the soul. One man, Jesus Christ, who sees us and meets us in the midst of perma-crisis and leads us home. In the midst of a total rebellion against God, there is a Saviour who has gone before and who's here with us. In the midst of quiet quitting, we have a powerful reason to spend ourselves. Not just so that we can spend a paycheck, but so that we can grow the garden and fulfil humanity's true purpose. And finally, we have a powerful diagnosis of injustice and sports washing or greenwashing or whatever else we would do to cover it up. That one day, all these matters will be brought before the judge of all. The human rights abuses are not just wrong because they feel wrong. They are wrong because they blaspheme the sacred human purpose to glorify God and to grow the garden. So brothers and sisters, let us approach this series with trust that as we seek to ask modern questions, we've come to the right place in the scriptures. That as we seek to ask modern questions, we find in this book ancient answers and not just ancient ideas, but words of life from the ancient of days himself. Amen.